0: Time to face a few home truths on the programme this week as agricultural chaplain Alan
1: Robson says change is coming, and soon. I'm not sure everybody totally gets the complexity of issues.
0: Also later,
1: is death
0: really a way to keep your business alive? I
1: don't
2: get many animals per se. And I'm quite happy to be honest about that. But where it comes in is where I usually link animals to the death of a person.
3: The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale.
0: Good morning. Last week, we returned to a discussion that we really can't avoid. Brexit, with that seminar by Wilkin Chapman, still available on the podcast online if you missed it. Are some, though, trying to avoid the subject and the bigger issues that will come from the UK's withdrawal from the EU? Agricultural chaplain Alan Robson fears so. He recently attended a summit
1: on global food safety. Professor Chris Elliott is doing lots of things around food integrity. Is there integrity in our food chain? His conclusion is no, there isn't. Um, how can there be if you know one billion people are hungry, two billion people have health problems because of the type of foods they're eating, either too little or too much, and for the first time in human history, um, there are more overly nourished children than there are malnourished. Uh, and then he talks about uh, the two billion. Who are um, the hidden hungry that they're not getting enough nutrients through the uh, the growing of the crop, so he says, "Is there integrity when the seven billion people plus on the planet and five billion are in some sort of distress?" Through the food economy, and then he talks about labor and where, how our food is grown and all of that, so it was a fascinating thing about integrity in the food chain, from primary producers to the people in McDonald's who are working and sometimes are the first on the food banks. Um, so there's lots of issues right through the food chain. So uh, as an agricultural chaplain, I absorb all that sort of stuff and say, right, what does that mean? Uh, What does it mean in food trade going into the future? So I'm thinking around Brexit and – oh, sorry, I mentioned the word. (laughs) But I've got to think around those things, and I'm working with some others around how do we address um, the inevitable dilemmas that are going to come – as we leave Europe and thrust ourselves into the World Trade Organization's um, uh, remit. And I think there's a a real tsunami wave of issues that I'm not sure the whole farming community are really getting the grips of. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of casualties uh, along the way, inevitably. Do
0: you think they... Either don't understand the change that's coming, or they're just—it's a bit like those bills that come in, and you put it in the drawer and just forget about it and hope it'll go away. But actually, you know, trying to avoid the issue—is it—is it—is it it more they'd rather not think about it, or they actually don't get what is happening?
1: I I think they're not sure that I'm not sure everybody totally gets the um, complexity of issues uh, that are going to. Hit So it is a bit, well, we've weathered this storm and we've weathered that storm, and so this is just another one, and we'll weather it. Um, but the implications on, you know, if you look at f- farming debt, for instance, how many are borrowed, uh, how, how much money is borrowed on crop, on fertilisers, on machinery, on bank loans. You know, British agriculture now is at its highest borrowing level than it's been post, post-war. post So there's a huge amount of credit debt loans in the system. And if the subsidy regime is going to drop dramatically, and it is, then how are farmers going to service that level of debt? Mm. Uh, that's a simple, very simplistic equation. It's lots of variations and complexities in that. But I, I think... Um, i 'm not sure business is not as usual, um, and so every farmer has to radically think you know how 's my what 's my business going to look like in two years' time, particularly if you 've got borrowings and you know not but reckless borrowing you know people borrow to you know keep the cash flow going and all sorts of things i 'm um, not talking about reckless borrowing it 's just your normal borrowing your overdrafts at pretty high levels you know how are you going to service that with a dramatically reducing uh, subsidy regime so lots of issues and um yeah so I, i've got to get my head around it and i'm reading lots of papers from lots of sources on it and talking to people at the worshipful company of farmers and uh, economists, and my head 's got to try and think, well, how does that affect the pig industry or the pork industry? Um, sorry, the pork industry the cow, you know the beef industry the the ornamental industry, the flour industry, all those sectors, I think it will hit the arable and the beef sectors probably the most, but there we go. we'll wait and see some
0: serious questions which will need answers from agricultural chaplain Alan Robson there.
4: Right, on to the latest prices from Openfield. It's Chris Spratt this week. Good morning, Sean. Well, another week where world weather continues to set the scene and dominate market sentiment, really. Still hot and dry uh, in the Black Sea for the uh, for the winter crops and wet and cold further north into Siberia, hampering the, uh, the spring uh, crop planting, really. Sovcom, the uh, Russian agency, this week, they've reduced their wheat forecast from 78 million tonnes to 77 million tonnes for the coming season. That's still considerably ahead of uh, the last USDA report, which came out at 72 million tonnes. And, you know, again, significantly below last year's 85, 5 million tons. Black sea wheat's the cheapest source of world wheat on the new crop at the moment, and I think that's making the market nervous. Definitely mixed reports out of that part of the world, and the market doesn't like uncertainty. Also, if we look at Canada and Australia, well, they're struggling with dry weather, and drilling is taking place there. So, again, traditionally large producers and exports, exporters onto the world market having what you would say at this moment in time is an ill-defined production forecast. I think in Australia they've got 60%, 70% of their, what is their winter wheat crops drilled, but into dry soil, and that's not really seen that much rain in the last six months. So they're desperate for a rain there. Prices have improved on the back of all this over the, uh, the weeks, certainly on new crop. People continually ask, how much further can they go? Well, it's a bit of, how long's a bit of string? In this type of market, sentiment can change on a more favourable weather forecast, which can soon put a different slant on things. Personally, I always feel it's better to be a scale-up seller rather than having the dilemma of trying to make a decision on a falling market. Domestically in the UK, the old crop market's still tight, with imports now uh, booked for some of the shortfall as, as, the, as we get towards the end of the season. Feed barley values, well, they've eased now uh, on the old crop, new crop in my mind, well, that is still undervalued and uh, over the week has really been slow to react in the rally to the wheat prices. Old crop barley, malting barley now, really by agreement, difficult to sell and conversely difficult to buy. There's so little out there to uh, to talk about with the season almost finished. New crop values for malting barley, well in the region of 150 to 155 for November, but no real interest uh, at this moment in time. Basically, uh, you know, everyone's waiting to see how the crop uh, uh, matures and uh, evaluation very difficult at this moment in time due to the late drilling season within. Allseed rape, again, uh, getting towards the end of the old crop now. There's some very big regional variations throughout the UK dependent on the local requirement. New crop, well that's seemingly still supported by better crush margins I think and I think some domestic and EU crop concerns resulting in a lack of any significant volume coming to the market over the week until again we see how yield potential develops. We've mentioned before about the US-Chinese trade talks and and they have had a negative effect on the uh, soya complex I think over the last few weeks but some support to the market came midweek on news that uh, had been some purchases from China of uh, US soya so that in in actual fact just gave the market a bit more confidence confidence, I think, really. As far as prices are concerned, June feed wheat 153 to 162, with Group 1 premiums in the 10 to £12 mark, very much dependent on area though. Harvest feed wheat 148 to 152, with November 152 to 157, and then May 19, 160 to 165. Feed barley for June 135 to 140, with old crop, as we said by appointment on the malting side of things. November feed barley 136 to 142, with 150 50 to 155 for the spring malting varieties all seed rape finishing off june at 285 to 295 maybe in some areas with harvest rapeseed 290 and november should be around about 300 pound mark new crop beans well they're trading at about 15 pound over the feed wheat price for feed beans plus any premium for human consumptions but uh, really not many sellers there at those levels at the moment I think to summarise really, it's a weather market. Quite frankly, we're not really quite sure whether we're at the start, the middle or getting towards the end. So it looks like we're in for a, an interesting season, Sean.
0: Thank you. Chris Pratt from Open Field. More from the team as ever next week. I'm Sean Dunderdale, and with the agronomy, as ever, it's Sean Sparling, our crop doctor. What have you got to tell us this week,
5: Sean? Oh, loads of stuff, Sean. Good morning. Yeah, well, let's start with the weather. Drop of rain, absolutely welcome. We were getting a bit desperate, you know, four or five weeks ago, we are all moaning how wet it is. It's amazing how quickly we all start to moan how dry it is. But it really had a serious, it was having a serious effect on some of these crops out in the field. In fact, most of them on that type of land. Sugar beet was struggling to come through. Peas and beans struggling to get going. Spring barley got to a point, starting to go backwards a bit Um, so it, it has affected the job a little bit but now we've had a drop of rain very variable on Friday to be fair I took two mil at home I think they took seven mil or thereabouts in the Horncastle area down towards Sleaford it was closer to half an inch so very variable but to those people who are moaning about how little they got why are you moaning? There's nothing you can do about it. You can't moan wet dry and you can't moan dry wet. We get what we're given and we have to put up with it. That's what farming's all about as you know. Um, but let's start with winter wheat. You can find rust quite widely now again in Leeds, Skyfall, Reflection, Moulton, Kerry. You can find it in varieties you wouldn't expect to find it in and I think the Reflection in particular is acting as a bit of a source uh, a foci of infection in some areas. Particularly if T0 was missed or delayed and T1 was delayed because now is the time to get those flag leaves on because... ...flag leaf sprays on, rather, because the flag leaves are out pretty widely. And don't just assume, because the crop is only up to your shins, that the flag leaf isn't out, because it's all down to day temperature. Um, it's all down to day length. And this is where it gets complicated by assumption. So don't assume. Go out, cut the plants open, have a look. If flag leaf's out, that is your flag leaf timing, and you need to be on with it. Uh, Septoria tritici is always your biggest driver. Remember what we've said. You need to keep the flag leaf clean, because that gives you about... it contributes 43% to final yield. Leaf 2 needs to be cleaned because that contributes about 23%. Leaf 3, about somewhere between three and seven percent and leaf four about two to three percent the rest of it's made up with the ear and the stem so you need to keep those top three leaves as clean as you can if you've got them clean now get in there with your flag leaf spray and keep them clean because rust is out there septoria is out there there's mildew out there as well remember things like prothioconazole if that's your preferred triazole that helps on wheat mildew quite well if you're using the epoxyconazole route, then try and think about putting something in which may help you control that mildew it's been a very late spring so weeds are starting to germinate now so check the labels, make sure if you're putting an SU or fluroxipa on these crops that you are still within the legal label recommendations you can see the wild oats popping up now you can see the black grass now, how we can work out how good a job we've done all season what's very interesting is how clean these crops have been up to now when the only herbicide they've actually had was applied back in October last year, and you can see the misbits bits in the field and do the comparison So they are worth their weight in gold, they've done a very good job in general, but there are those fields where the blackgrass is coming through through lack of competition, through cloddy seed beds, whatever. Um, we always get that element, but I think in general, I'm relatively happy about my level of blackgrass control this year. Wild oats, they need dealing with now, and remember your intervals if you're out there treating anywhere close to a sulfonylurea. All seed rate pretty much out of flower now, actually. If there is still flowering, a backward crop, a stress crop, different varieties, some of the clear fields are still flowering, then remember that you need to be control of sclerotinia by putting your protectant flowering spray on if you haven't already done it and if you're finding seed weevil in a crop you're a better man than I am at the moment because seed weevil your threshold is one seed weevil for every two racemes But the problem with them is as soon as you touch the plant, they'll drop and go straight to the floor so you can't find them because they're just the same colour as the floor. So what I have is sticky traps out in the field, and I have caught very, very few. If you are finding them at threshold, what they do is they direct feed on the pods, they make a little hole, they lay their eggs in there, and then along comes the pod midge, lay their eggs in the same hole that the seed weevils made, and you get the bladder pod symptoms. They're generally worse round the outside, so don't just assume that because you've found one or two on the edge of a field you've got a problem. Get into the field and look for them. Get your traps out there and make the effort. If you do need to go, then use an insecticide which is kind to the millions of beneficials that are within those canopies as well. Spring barley romping now. Bit of rinko about, abiotic spotting, bit of net blotch mildew. T1 is pretty much upon you. Once you get to the end of tillering, you want your T1 spray on. take out broadleaf weeds at the same time grass weeds should you need to look at your tank mixes make sure you're abiding by intervals and tank mix regulations out there spring wheat again t1 is more or less upon us in the early drill pieces it's way behind on the backwards but this rain should bring things on quite quickly now um, and because you need to look after these spring wheat crops because with all the problems in the, the red sea area the the droughty conditions they've got out there which is a large supplier of very cheap grain if they then the price of your grain will go through the roof so look after what you've got sugar beet, weeds growing like bilio now we've had a bit of rain, the good thing is it'll reactivate all that residual you've put down and some of the weeds which hitherto looked like they weren't going to die, should fade away quite nicely over the next few weeks but keep the pressure up, keep those crops clean and free of competition on weeds um, right up until eight leaves potatoes, blight conditions, speak to your grow don't put all your eggs in one basket and make sure you're diversifying linseed, flea beetle, pea and bean weevil out there as well, along with Brookhead Beetle. Yeah, it's all go.
0: Thank you. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. If you're a regular listener to the programme, then you'll know we love talking about potential diversification ideas. Last week, for example, Catherine Harris at Wilkin Chapman told us with change on its way, diversification could be key to the future of many smaller farms. A few weeks ago, the Farmers Weekly had a couple of pages looking at one idea, which does seem to be gaining in popularity, that of natural burial grounds. So how easy is it, and is it really a good business idea? Paul Disley set up the UK's first ever natural burial ground that allowed people to be buried with their pets. As you can imagine, there are a few obstacles to jump with DEFRA, so uh, Paul, tell us more about Orchard Funeral Services. It started
2: in a long roundabout route um, when I was a teacher, I'd left teaching in my early 50s uh, because I was travelling with the UN to refugee camps and I needed an income and so I started to be one of what has now become quite common, the celebrants at the crematorium and having done over a thousand funerals, one thing led to another, involvement with, uh, with death and that when the orchard, which is a four-acre site out at Langworth, Uh, came on the market it just became an ideal next step along the route that life had been taking me and so I opened it up and it became the first burial ground in the country where people could be buried with their pets
0: because it's not as simple as just you took over the orchard and that's it we start digging holes Uh, there's a lot of procedure behind it Oh,
2: absolutely Uh, If we split it into two, if we take the funeral directing aspect of it, that was planning permission. Um, There there are many, many um, burial grounds around the country and increasingly they're outside towns in in the countryside. So that's a a planning issue. But what uh, I asked to do was to mix that with animals. Now, animals comes under DEFRA, animal Wealth, health, and, and welfare, and so on. And because I was the first, it was a, a difficult uh, question about what do they do about that. So, in fact, I had to train uh, as a waste disposal manager in the early stage. But that's that's changed since then. But that took a couple of years to be able to get that. And since then, it's been absolutely superbly easy, easy running.
0: And again, I guess there's certain rules... And regulations as well. You have to bury so far under, you know, we, we, yes, and... yes,
2: indeed. Um, with pets, I always say to people there are, there are two conditions which affect me. One is the amount of mass that I bury per square meter. That's controlled, and the depth of soil on top of the the carcass. Uh, that's controlled as well. But obviously, in the background, before I got planning permission or permission for this off the environment agency. I'm not polluting any waterways. So it's those three things, really, which were the d-
0: deciders. And is it... It's a difficult question, I guess, but it is a business. Is it a successful business? Is it going well?
2: If I am honest, there are two sides to what I'm doing, as I said. The funeral directing and the burying of people and the, fun- and the burying of animals. I don't get many animals per se, and I'm quite happy to be honest about that, but where it comes in is where I usually link animals to the death of a person and allow that to come. Um, it is, I'm surprised how, yeah, remunerative it is when I take the, the overall.
0: In the article uh, in, yeah. in the magazine, it, it mentioned about succession planning, if you like. Yes. What, what happens when you're gone? What happens to to the yeah. business to the to the land? Yeah,
2: I, I if you like, I, I run two businesses. One, I am a funeral director, and so that is Orchard Funeral Services Limited. Independent of that, that business does not own the orchard. I, as Paul Disley, family and the finances of that, if you like, own it. So, succession planning that will pass into the family and, and can be used. It's it's as secure as we can think the future is going to be for that. Even if, in the long term, none of the family want to become funeral directors, that's independent of that, it will always be that. And it can never be anything other than what it is. And, it, and it, funny, it's a good question, because that's the question that most people want to know. If I bury Uncle George here, you know, how long will it be before a block of flats is built on him and that sort of thing? Well, it can't be. It will always be an orchard, a meadow
0: and a woodland. It's talking there about diversifying as, you know, farmers could maybe look at this. Uh, what, what advice would you give if somebody's thinking about this right now on a farm, thinking, well, maybe I could give it a go? I think you've got to be realistic. Mm. There was a movement
2: about ten years ago, and I think it tied in with Set Aside, where a large number of green burial sites were set up. Lincolnshire probably has the largest proportion of, of in all the counties. Um the success of a business depends upon the support of funeral directors now as you alluded the um funerals held at the crematorium that's where most funerals like directors like to go because they're set up for that whereas to come into say to the orchard independent funeral directors other than myself using it find that it's different because it takes longer people relax they stand around whether or not the, the time constraints and also you can get your feet wet uh, so i would be realistic about that uh, but it is the future i think people are shying away now from the wastage associated with cremation and and the economic cost of that and the the environmental cost of that and also away from the mock Victorian of the inner city, the inner town, um, burial grounds, cemeteries.
0: I hope you agree. Fascinating discussion there with Paul Disley from Orchard Funeral Services and a word of warning too if you're considering a green burial as a possible diversification on your farm. We all know the importance of young farmers and the Young Farmers Club's dotted right across the UK, open to more than just those in agriculture. The Lincolnshire Rally is taking place next weekend. Max Foreman can tell us more about it. That's
6: right. So on the 2nd of June, um, Lincolnshire Farmers are hosting their annual county rally at Beeswax's site at Carrington between... Boston and Reevesby. It's a fantastic opportunity for people from the local area particularly f- across Lincolnshire Young Farmers to collaborate in one place and participate in a variety of different activities throughout the day and it's rounded off with a uh, party in the evening. So.
0: And lots of competitions taking place as well.
6: So there's a variety of different competitions that take place, including pillow fighting, egg throwing, and a variety of messy activities. Um, and also there's the tug of war, which um, the survivors of that, the winners, will end up going to the Lincolnshire Showground to participate. So it's an excellent opportunity for people to uh, network again once more uh, in the rural
0: community. And we've talked about it many times on the programme, but it's, it's, it's important, isn't it, the young farmers, because it is getting that new blood, into agriculture and making sure that farming will continue
6: definitely so we're trying to encourage people external to agriculture to get involved in farmers you know to get over this stigma that you don't necessarily have to wear a checkered shirt or permanently wear wellington boots you know we have a variety diverse bunch of uh, new members which are coming in so we've got people who are engineers laborers some are even interior designers you know it has a vast appeal not only in lincolnshire but again nationally uh, we're seeing a an increase in membership from people external to agriculture.
0: And what uh, competition are you most looking forward to? Is it the is it the, the, the pillow fighting or the tug of war? Which one would it be?
6: Well, I'd love to say the tug of war, but to be <laughs> fair, the, um, the pillow fight it certainly attracts a lot of attention. It's like a ringside event. Everyone gets you know, heckling each other, and it, it's a good competitive spirit, and everyone has a fantastic time.
0: The tug of war takes hours, doesn't it?
6: It does, and I'm surprised how you struggle to find people to mediate this sport (laughs) these days so um yeah no it's a fantastic event and you know there's a lot of training behind the scenes that goes into it it's astonishing really how the different clubs vary in in stature as well and how there is actually a technique behind tug of war which really counts so all right
0: so i guess the message first is anybody who'd like to find out more about young farmers get in touch they're dotted all over the country And secondly, uh, if you're in Young Farmers at the minute, get down to Carrington, yeah?
6: That's right, yeah. So Carrington on the 2nd of June. And if you do want any more information, we have a Facebook page, so just Facebook, Lincolnshire Young Farmers, and there's more information on there. And uh, this year it's been kindly, um, our main sponsor is Chandler's... Um, the machinery dealership they've invested a lot of time which is really reassuring to see local businesses investing into young farmers and the future of farming Um, so yeah it's been absolutely overwhelming the amount of support we've got from local businesses as well as um, food you know local food producers as well that's
0: max foreman ahead of next saturday's young farmers rally it's a bit early to say what the weather will be like next weekend, but
3: what of the week ahead? Eddie Shaw has the details for us. Morning, Sean. Yep, for the bank holiday weekend, not at all bad. Dry today, quite a bit of sunshine around, although there will be a cool easterly breeze gusting at up to 25 miles an hour. At the top temperature, around 23 degrees Cloudy with some light rain through the night and first thing on Monday morning, but then it'll become drier and brighter later. There will be some sunny spells by bank holiday Monday afternoon and a bit of an easterly breeze still blowing. But temperatures on the up actually at 24 degrees tomorrow afternoon. Tuesday, mostly cloudy and dry through much of the day although there is the chance of a few light showers here and there later top temperature 20 degrees with a breeze swinging round to the northeast. Wednesday is set to be another cloudy day there'll be occasional showers and one or two sunny spells it'll feel slightly warmer with a light southwesterly breeze temperatures up to 21 degrees and that really is the theme for the latter part of the week getting slightly warmer again on Thursday there'll be uh, a dry Friday, partly cloudy, but it will be warm with it too at 22 degrees. And looking ahead to next weekend, it'll stay warm with variable amounts of cloud and a few showers can't be ruled out. Thank you, Eddie. It's another busy
0: week with various events, including the Suffolk Show on Wednesday and Thursday. I might see you there if you're visiting or exhibiting. And of course, that Young Farmers Rally next Saturday. Good luck if you're taking part. Whatever it is you're up to this week, as ever, have a good week's farming.